I did my research and anybody, you don't have to be a nurse to do that. You don't have to be a social worker to speak up. You can speak up for your loved one. And it's important that you do because they can't advocate for themselves. Welcome to a season of caring podcast where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nysis, your host, and today we have special guest, Tracy Crump. Tracy dispenses hope in her new book, Health, Healing, and Wholeness, Devotions of Hope in the Midst of Illness. Her articles and devotions have been featured in publications such as Guidepost Books, The Upper Room, Focus on the Family, Parent Life, Mature Living, and Women's World. But she's best known for her contribution of more than 30 stories to Chicken Soup for the Soul and other anthologies. Her course on writing for Chicken Soup for the Soul is one of serious writers' top sellers. As co-director of Write Life Workshops, Tracy encourages others to write better right now. And she edits a popular newsletter for story callouts, does freelance editing, proofreads for Farmer's Almanac, and served as registrar for the Mid-South Christian Writers Conference. But her most important job is grandma to four completely unspoiled grandchildren. Connect with Tracy through her website, tracycrump.com. Tracy, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, Tracy, I know that your heart is to encourage others who are in this season of caring because you've been there. So tell Mm. us a little bit about your caregiving story. And I know you have nursing in your background as well. So how did that impact that caregiving? I worked as a nurse years ago. I I wanted to be a nurse from the time I was 10 years old. And I worked in ICU for five years. And then I retired to be a stay-at-home mom, ended up homeschooling. And when our second son graduated, I started writing. And so for about three years, you know, life went on. But then my mom started showing some odd symptoms. She just started declining mentally, just suddenly. She had always been an avid reader. She worked for banks for years. So she took care of all their finances. She was just on top of her game. And all of a sudden, her memory just started declining. Mm. Then she displayed other odd symptoms that I didn't understand. We began going to doctors. They did an MRI, an MRA, which is a more detailed test, and they couldn't really find anything to explain some of her symptoms. One neurologist we saw, he did just a a very brief uh, little memory test and and declared that she had Alzheimer's or had Mm. dementia anyway. But I knew that didn't go along with some of the odd motor symptoms she showed. She would lean over sometimes and not even realize she was doing it. She began falling. Other things went on. And I, for weeks and weeks, I, I couldn't sleep. I just, mm. I was worried. I didn't know what to do. I kept going over and over in my head. What else can we check? And I would, yeah, you know, would pray. And I would say, Lord, you know, you take this. I, I don't know. And, and of course, and I'd take it right back and say, oh, wait, <laughs> we haven't checked this. What about this? And so that went on for a, a long time. And one night I just said, Lord, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what else to do. I know in my heart that something else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And as I was going to sleep that night, suddenly a a memory came back from a friend whose dad had had some similar symptoms and he had begun falling. And I thought, what was that that they decided he had? And it was called normal pressure hydrocephalus. Not something the normal person would think of. But the next morning I got up, I looked it up and she had all the symptoms. So we went to see the neurologist next time. I said, could she have this? He said, no. I said, Mm. why not? Why do you think not? 
And he said, because her her MRI doesn't show it. But I had done my research and I had found that the MRI is not always a definitive test for this and that there was a more detailed test that you could do. And so I asked him about that. Well, when I said something about that, he kind of backed off and he said, well, he said, you'd have to go to a neurosurgeon and have that done. And I said, okay. We went to the neurosurgeon and he examined her and he said, well, she's got dementia. And I said, well, what about normal protrioducephalus? Could she have that? And he said, no. I thought, deja vu. We've been here before. <laughs> and I said, why not? He said, well, first of all, the MRI doesn't show it. And he said, also, she, he watched her walk and he said, she can mm-hmm. lift her feet. And I said, but one time we were coming up the steps to the door and she suddenly stopped and I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't lift my foot. And he said, well, he said, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't have normal pressure hydrocephalus. I said, I understand there's another test that, that you could do. I said, I'd like to have that. He said, well, if you really want to. And it was kind of like, you're a bad daughter because this test was very involved. It was a painful procedure to have done. You'd have to come back three days in a row to have scans. And I, you know, I just got this feeling that I'm a bad person Mm. for insisting on this when she's just got dementia. So I talked to my dad and we eventually had it. It's a long involved story, but we eventually had it. She did have normal pressure hydrocephalus and she had surgery. It was a treatable condition. Whereas, you know, with your dad, that Alzheimer's is, there's very little they can do. Mm -hmm. But in this case, they can insert a shunt. And within three days, she made an amazing turnaround. She had gotten to the point where she couldn't speak more than like one or two words answering the question. She had no memory, no memory. And she couldn't even walk. Mm. It had affected her that much. Within three days, she made an amazing rebound. Wow. But she had gone so far that she never did really recover her mobility. And that's one thing I have regretted that I did not push this earlier. But we had her for three more years. And we would not have had I not said, there's something more I think we can do. I, I did my research. And and anybody, you don't have to be a nurse to do that. You don't have to be a social worker to speak up. You can speak up for your loved one. And it's important that you do because they can't advocate for themselves. Such a great story. And I appreciate the encouragement of that for our listeners because exactly what you said, there is some shaming involved. Mm -hmm. And it is such a delicate relationship with the doctors. You have such a short period of time to interact with them mm-hmm. that when I put the shoe on the other foot and I think of how they must feel walking into the room and having somebody throw all this stuff at them, but they don't know us. They don't know the history. Mm-hmm. They're not with our loved one all the time like we are. And so I wish that they would be more open. Not all doctors are open. So I love that you were willing to go ahead and just keep pushing and asking those questions. And I often tell people, if the doctor's not willing to let you do that, find a different doctor. Mm-hmm. Because you really do have to find ones that will listen to you. As caregivers, we know our loved ones better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So we have to be willing to do that. So I yeah. love that. When we look at that advocacy part, how can we act as our loved ones advocates? What's the best way to go about that? Well, I think there's several things that we can do. I think first of all is speaking up and doing our research. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want to just go in and say, well, I think it's this or this or this, you know, and we don't want to put ourselves in an adversarial position with yes. the doctors. We don't. That's important. They need to be on our side. 
for our loved one. But like you say, we know our loved ones better than anyone else. And I think another thing, I had another experience that was very uh, telling to me. My dad, he had multiple multiple health issues. And one time I was at the hospital with him. He had heart issues, lung issues. And I went into pulmonary edema one day, he had congestive heart failure. And so we, we went to the emergency room and we stayed about half the day there. They admitted him and I went to the room with him and stayed with him. It was very tempting that night to, to go home, but I thought I'm going to stay. There's just there are too many things that can happen without someone there. He was perfectly with it. He did not have dementia. He was in his 80s. And of course, we all have, you know, a little bit of issue and we're older. Uh, I can attest to that, but he was very with it. And so I had stayed that night. We didn't get much sleep. There was noise out in the hall. He was snoring. Out. So I was on the little couch beside his bed. Then about six o'clock that morning, a nurse kind of crept in. She was trying not to wake me up and very nice, talking softly to him, woke him up. She said, I need to give you a medication. He said, very intelligently, said, what is it? And she hmm. said, it's a nitroglycerin patch. Well, the doctor had told us, and this was you know, probably a year or two uh, before that, that he was on a medication and not to ever let anyone give him nitroglycerin, that mm. it would probably kill him wow. if they did. Man, I popped up off that couch like a jack in the box. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, we cannot give him that. It, will, it can possibly kill him because of a medication he's on. That poor nurse, she ran out of the room. I didn't see her again. <laughs> they sent somebody else in after that. But it just shows that and he he was going to let her do it. He was going to mm. let her put that on. He did not remember that mm -hmm. the doctor had said that. And I would not have known if the doctor not told me. I mean, I looked up medications. He was on a list that would, you know, make your heart stop. I wouldn't have known that. And so that shows how important it is. I think one of your guests a few weeks ago mentioned how important it is to stay with a loved one at the hospital mm -hmm. and to be there to advocate for them. And that just goes to show that things can happen. A mistake can happen anytime. And actually, the funny thing was that was something the ER doctor had ordered. And for some reason, it was not given in ER. And usually those orders don't carry over to the floor. Mm. But for some reason, it did. And the, the ER doctor should have caught it. The pharmacy should have caught it. Mm -hmm. And the nurse, I would really have expected her to know it, but she didn't catch it either. So there were three layers that it went through and it was almost given to him. So I think another important thing is to be there for your loved one. As hard as it is sometimes, especially for people who work full time to be at the hospital, it is so important because things like that can happen. It is. There's so many things to remember that two brains are always better than one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having someone to help, there's just a normal overwhelm that comes with everything that's happening. And so it's difficult for them to think clearly anyway, much less to remember something like that. Again, I go back to my sister did an amazing job of creating a meds list and any of those types of things were something we noted and had right there on the list so that we knew that at least if we were questioning ourselves, we could go back and look. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like allergies, because like you said, a lot mm -hmm. of times medication allergies, unless when you admit them, unless it gets on the form right then, if it's an older one that you've forgotten about, that can make a big impact too. It can. It can. Yes. In fact, that's one thing we did too, is kept a, a detailed medicine list and their past history. My dad, like I said, he was on a list that the specialist would look at that and go, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's on all of this medicine? 
And uh, you're not going to remember that. And if you have to run mm-hmm. out the door to an emergency room visit exactly. or just to a doctor's office visit you weren't expecting, you're not going to remember those things. And it, it can make a difference in their care. It really mm-hmm. can. Yeah. And that was another thing that I thought was very important was to have that detailed list with you. And so you've got your durable power of attorney and you've got that list of meds and we even had them in a a notebook ready to grab and go. But just even having them in your car, like you said, if you were somewhere else to be able to have that with you, I have my own list in my purse all the time. Not that it's very long at this point, but it still has medical history. It has those doctors. And every time I go to a doctor's office and I pull out my list, they're always like, oh, wow, (laughs) I'm so organized. But it's because I know how important that is in the long run. And we might as well start today. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So as an advocate, really doing your research and I think listening to your gut is Mm -hmm. uh, one piece that's really important. And then being present and being that advocate while you're right there. You can't do that if you aren't there. So Mm -hmm. being able to be there with them and then making sure you have things written down. Any other things that you had in mind? Well, I think it's important and you probably did this too, was to take notes whenever you go to see the doctor or when you're at the hospital with them. There's so many things. And I can tell you this from my own experience that, you know, you mentioned not being able to remember some of these things when you're the patient. I remember one time I had a a fee, things like fever, pain, nausea, medication, or if you've had surgery, the anesthesia can affect you for a while. All those things can affect your memory and you don't remember what you need to tell the doctor, or you don't say it right. At one time when I went in for appendicitis, I was dehydrated. I, I had fever. And he asked me kind of the timeline of how things went. Well, I got it all wrong. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it didn't make any difference in my case because he could see by my lab work and my CAT scan that I had appendicitis and he went on and did surgery. <laughs> but it could have made a difference in other situations. But I think it's important too to take notes uh, because a lot of times, Even as the caregiver, definitely as the patient, but even as the caregiver, your anxiety level can be pretty high. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, I got it. He wants me to do this. He's going to get this. We're going to come back for this. And then you get home and you think, now, what did he say? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't remember. So I think it's important. I take a thick notebook with me, but one that would fit in my purse. And I just took notes. And I do the same thing for myself when I go. I take notes about what what do they want to do next? What are they thinking this might be? What medications do they want to start? All those little details that you need to make sure that you're on track with your own care or your loved one's care. So I think that's important. And that little notebook, having that with you, you can then reference back even while you're at the doctor. Because sometimes people just write notes on a new piece of paper or whatever, but knowing two years ago when we were doing this, we talked about that or whatever. And and that really does help because the doctors have so many patients and Mm. Even more now, I think they're just so scheduled back to back that they don't really have time to look at that history. They're having a tendency to look at what's happening right in front of them versus especially years ago. So that's a great tip as well. Mm -hmm. It is true. So how important is an advocate if the patient is mentally sound? Well, just like I I mentioned before, a lot of things can affect you know, your memory and how you take things in. Just like with my dad, he didn't remember he was supposed to take nitroglycerin with the medication he was on. He he didn't remember that at all. And the things that can affect your your uh, your thinking at the time, your clarity, the the fever, the pain, mm-hmm. all those different things, they can affect how clearly you are thinking and, and saying what you need to say and taking in what you need to take in. So I think it's very, very important. 
Did you find with your parents that there was any discomfort of that role of you stepping in as an advocate? That's an interesting question. Uh, eventually, no. I think at first, a lot of times the doctors tend to look at the caregiver. I don't know if you've had that experience, but a lot of times they'll kind of not address the patient, but they'll address the caregiver. And so sometimes I would say, I don't know, what do you think, Dad? You know, when they asked me a question, what do you think, Mom? Uh, of course, my mom, when she, you know, had, was developing the problems, she couldn't think. She couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it was no problem with her. But with my dad, I had to kind of play the, okay, let's put the folks back on him. He had trouble hearing, which was another mm-hmm. issue and can be another issue, especially with older uh, relatives. So he couldn't, and we had a, a foreign doctor and he had trouble understanding mm-hmm. him. So, and the room tended echo. So he would kind of look at me sometimes. So I knew that was my cue to step in and go ahead and answer the question. But they didn't really take offense, I don't think, because they did, they would proudly say she was a nurse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they didn't mind my stepping in and, and kind of taking over. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that can be a dance as well. You're dancing with the doctor and trying to not be too pushy and you're dancing with the, the person you're caring for because you don't want to be disrespectful or not honor their autonomy as much as possible. In my situation, that point in which the progression was happening, it became obvious when dad was overwhelmed by it. But it can be hard for people that are of sound mind to feel like it's okay to let someone advocate for them. I had an aunt who mentioned to me that when her daughter came with her to the doctor's appointments, she felt invisible and she quit letting her daughter go with her for a period of time because she really felt like the doctors treated her so differently. It really bothered her. And so that was a difficult navigation for their relationship because of course her daughter wanted to be there to get Mm -hmm. that second set of ears and to be able to take notes and do those things. But it really impacted how my aunt felt that the doctor interacted with her. So it can be a difficult dance. I think being the advocate is so important, but you do have to figure out how to do it in a way that is comfortable for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. So that is perfect lead into caregivers, because I think that can be so tough for people who need care to accept outside help. We talk specifically to family caregivers, and I'm a huge advocate for family caregivers to realize they're not in this alone. They need to have the support of other people. And paid caregivers are an important part of that team. But sometimes our loved ones don't necessarily want to accept caregivers. and Sometimes it can be really hard to find them. Have any tips around? Well, in our situation, when my mom had her surgery, she actually spent three months in rehab around that time. She was in rehab before she had her surgery because we didn't know what was going on before she had that test. And then she went through some rehab to, to kind of try to regain her mobility as much as possible. So when she came home, I knew we were going to need help. Like I said, my dad had multiple, multiple health issues. He was mobile, but he wasn't very mobile. He was definitely not going to be able to take care of her. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And so they both actually were very accepting of, of my getting caregivers and getting help in the Europe. They did live not far from us. So I was back and forth every day, twice a day, actually. And uh, in the mornings, I would have to go and give her an injection. And then in the evenings, uh, my dad would watch over her after the caregiver went home for a few hours. But then I would come and help her get dressed and get ready for bed and get her in bed. 
So that was our routine for three years. But we had some wonderful, wonderful caregivers. I just didn't feel I could be over there all the time. I had, uh-huh. you know, my own home, my own career that I was working on. And uh, if I'd had to, I would have. But it really worked out that we found some just awesome caregivers. And we started out using services. And as you probably know, the, the rates are really high. And it was, it was a concern of mine that, that my parents were going to outlive their money. Mm. And I know that's a concern for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to be as conservative as possible, but still get the help that we needed. Because uh, I knew this was going to be long term. Mm-hmm. We were in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And so I had talked to several companies and we had people come in. We had some wonderful people. Uh, but when I got the second call at four o'clock in the morning to say that they didn't have anybody to come out that day, mm-hmm. I thought this is, this is not working. I thought part of being with a service would be when well, they would always have somebody to fill in, but apparently that wasn't the case. So that's when I started looking for some private caregivers and I put out the word through our church and through friends churches. I was part of a homeschool group still, even though we weren't homeschooling anymore. And I put out the word there. And I started getting some leads. We had some wonderful, wonderful people. I would say we only had one experience. It was not good. And that one, we had looked, I found a woman through the, a newspaper ad. And I had talked to her. And I always called them out to interview them and kind of saw how they interacted with my mom, particularly. And, of course, they were taking care of both my mom and dad, mm-hmm. but, but my mom in particular. And we would kind of go through her routine and what all she did and all that. But particular woman did not work out. There were some Mm -hmm. issues there. And so I had to let her go, which I know in your book, you talk about you were kind of the tough one and your sister was kind of the, I probably slant towards your sister, (laughs) (laughs) but I I had to do hard things. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to. But we had one lady, she came right near the beginning and she stayed to the end and Mm -hmm. she was like family. She really was. She was, I called her my right hand woman. Mm-hmm. They cleaned, they cooked, they did anything that they needed to do. They would have taken to the doctor, but I wanted to do that because mm-hmm. I wanted to be there to advocate for them. But they would have done it. It mm-hmm. snowed and Joan went out there and put salt down, clean off that ramp mm-hmm. so we wouldn't slide down that ramp. She would do anything that we mm-hmm. needed her to do. And we had others that were just absolutely amazing. Funny how each of them had a different strength. Yeah, that that they brought to the table and uh, that would help my mom. Like one lady would, she would do nails and she, you know, my mom never was that big on putting nail polish on, but she liked to be pretty like any woman. Mm-hmm. And she had trouble hearing after she had her surgery. She lost a lot of her hearing mm-hmm. and this lady would get down in her face and they would do nails. She would do nails and they would just talk and talk and talk. And, talk. and so that gave my mom that interaction. Mm-hmm. And another lady was good at doing hair. She had been a hairdresser in the past. And so she would, she would color her hair, style it and all this stuff. All these little things just kind of helped uh, make my mom's life better. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's amazing. My dad, the big thing with him was, can they cook well? <laughs> that was his, if they could cook, he was okay with it. There you go. Yeah. You can't have your priorities straight, right? Right. <laughs> And I think that is such an important part of being an advocate is realizing that if we look for supports, then we can do the important things that we need to do. And that means having a life, maintaining our own life, our marriage relationships, our career, those things at the same time as honoring them and making sure they're well cared for. And I think that's our role when we're advocating for our loved ones. It's not an easy role, 
But it's definitely important to understand that it's more than just being there 24-7 because that's really not the best solution. I love that you brought out the gifts of the different caregivers because that's the thing. I felt like my dad kind of got tired of me after three days. (laughs) And he was ready for a new personality and a new experience. And I think that it can be such a blessing to have those different people around and to bring their personality, their gifting to the team and help the person that we're caring for get over the mundane life that they're <laughs> they're having if they're looking at the same person all the time. So I That's love that right. story. That's right. And it is such a challenge in finding the help, especially I live on a farm in Kansas and In the rural areas, finding even a company that comes out can be a challenge. But I love how you used resources of just a network that you've already created of people asking in church and in other organizations, who would be good at this? Who might be looking for work to be able to do this? Because that is definitely necessary for a lot of people to find that themselves. So it's a challenge, but it's an important thing to be open to because I think sometimes it's easy to say, oh, I just didn't find anybody, realizing that it's going to take a little work to do it, but it really does help in the big picture, everybody. Yes, yes. And you just have to keep looking too sometimes and keep asking. And like you said, a network, ask this person and that person knows somebody who knows somebody. And sometimes you can find the best people that way. It's always wonderful when they fall in love with your loved one. It it just does amazing things for your heart to see them. Like you said, I could totally see that interaction. And just the hand-holding touch can be so important, especially when hearing has been impacted. Yes, yes. And another story about my mom, too, is one one of the caregivers, she just had just such a caring heart. And toward the end, my mom just developed some irrational fears, and she would be very fearful. Christy would sit there and hold her hand. One day I walked in and Christy was leaning over my mom's chair. We had big recliners for them. She had her sweatshirt pulled over her head, hanging from her arm that was holding my mom's hand. And she had tried to set down a a glass of water uh, beside my mom and my mom grabbed her hand. And rather than Mm. let her go, she had, she had stood there for probably an hour. She got hot. So she just pulled her shirt over and let it hang rather than let go of my mom's hand. That's how caring she was. And so we were just really blessed with some wonderful people. They're out there. And we do have to sometimes look really hard. (laughs) And like you said, we have to be willing to say this isn't working when it's not working. So release them to find what works for them. And that can be a blessing in their life as well as yours to find the right people that are a good fit for you. Well, Tracy, our time is gone. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I think some of the things that we talked about that advocacy role is kind of a dance and figuring out how to push what we need to let go a little bit and and let it happen. But it is so important. And I really appreciate the encouragement that you offered the listeners today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Raina. I've enjoyed it. So you can find Tracy's writing in a variety of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. You can also find out more about what she's up to at tracycrump.com. And definitely check out her newest book, Health, Healing and Wholeness, Devotion, Hope in the Midst of Illness. For those that you're caring for, it sounds like that could be a real blessing. And just a reminder, a Season of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have financial, medical, or legal questions, be sure to consult your local professionals and take heart in your season of caring.